Valentine's right now. My wife's, one, my wife's favorite holiday is Valentine's. It's just a reason to buy more chocolate and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I was thinking about Easter being this time of joy and happiness, but it's, it's related to a story full of blood, loss, betrayal, sorrow, false accusations, bruising, tears, sadness. Do you see what I'm saying? This is, you know, we're, we're like, yay, pastel colors. But Jesus Christ and the, and the resurrection, although the resurrection is such a great victory, we're talking, about, we're talking about some intense stuff right there, right? And so I spent some time thinking about uh, just this Sunday and, and what it means to me personally. I, this is my kind of a, a first time for me to preach on an Easter Sunday. I was getting a little nervous. You know, everybody brings their family and stuff. And I'm like, man, what am I going to say? Um, but then, you know, I'm not, I, I, I just, I'm a simple person. And so I just kind of want to simplify Easter for us a little bit. And uh, I think for me, what I started thinking about and, and really what resonated with my, with my heart is what I'm going to share with you uh, today. And uh, what, what I thought about was this concept here, you know, in, in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, Peter had just preached a whole sermon, and Jews had come from all nations to gather in Jerusalem. And at the end of his sermon, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And I thought about this for myself. What does this mean that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. Messiah meaning Christ, meaning Savior. And so we're going to study out the title of the the lesson today is When I Am Lifted Up. It's a promise that Jesus makes in an interaction that he has that we're going to study out in John chapter 3. But he says this concept, when I am lifted up, people will look to me and believe in me and, and have eternal life. And when I'm lifted up out of the earth, I will draw all men to me. And I thought, number one, two things out of this interaction I thought about. I said, number one, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let's look at this interaction that Jesus has in John chapter 3. You guys with me here? All right, here we go. We're going on a little, little journey here with Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a good teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And I, I like Nicodemus. You know, he's, 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 asking, the right, he's asking questions. He's, he's kind of putting it out to Jesus. And, uh, but it's in the middle of the night because he's kind of embarrassed by his friends. He's, a, he's part of the ruling council. He's, he's one of the top dogs. And Jesus, it's interesting what Jesus says. He's not even, he doesn't even comment on what Nicodemus says, he just says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And then he continues, Jesus goes along, he continues to share with, with Nicodemus, you know, what it means to be born again. He talks about how the spirit moves in all directions and you don't know where it's going. And he's talking about a spiritual rebirth not just living a better life. And then he says something interesting here. 
which is sort of the theme of our time today. He's telling, because Nicodemus just can't, he doesn't really understand what Jesus is talking about. And he says, Jesus says to Nicodemus, I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world. We see this all at football games, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Jesus uses a story from the Old Testament that Nicodemus, part of the Jewish ruling council, and we're going to go back there, okay? Let's go back to the first century a little bit. Nicodemus understood what Jesus was talking about right here. Because Jesus uses a story that was part of the history of Israel. He goes back to Numbers chapter 21, and he talks about this story, and he says, uh, he's talking about just as, as Moses lifted up the snake, and you see, you're like, what? What does that even mean? You see, you see, what had happened was, back in the day, the Israelites were complaining. In Numbers 21, the, the Israelites were complaining. You know, they're walking in the desert, and they're complaining, they're whining, what? Why this is hap- Why is this happening to us? Take us back to Egypt. We love being slaves. We don't want to be here. We want to be slaves of Egypt again. I mean, they're just complaining to God over. And in God's infinite patience, God just was like, fine, I'm going to give you a little pow-pow here, you know, a little time out. And he sends, he sends these poisonous snakes to start biting the Israelites. And people were dying left and right. You're like, wow, that's an interesting plague to send, biting snakes. But... But then he says, the only way you can be healed, he tells us to Moses, Moses, make a statue of a snake on a pole and put it up on the mountain. And when people look at it and obey my command to actually look at it, they'll be healed. They'll be saved. And Jesus, it's interesting how Jesus does this. He, he says that that's actually foreshadowing what Jesus is about to do. Because he says here, just as that snake was lifted up and people looked at it and believed and were healed, so the Son of Man, when he is lifted up on the cross, when people look at him and believe, there's eternal life. Isn't that amazing? That kind of what Jesus does there. And so now Nicodemus is like, oh, that makes sense. I can see what you're trying to say here. Jesus uses the story to provide the illustration of how when he's lifted up on the cross, those who look to him will believe and be saved. You know, our, our race, the human race, is a broken race. We're always chasing after different things or hobbies or people to fill a void that is there that only God can fill. You see, the thing is, we were never meant... To be separated from God as those who are created in his image. The problem is, 
We just didn't want to obey and do things his way. So we decided to take things into our own hands. And then there's a separation. There's a disconnect between man and God. And so Jesus comes down and says, I'm coming to make that better. Not just to make it better, but to reconnect you guys. And it's only through me. And it's amazing because the Bible says in Romans 6 that the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. And so he's like, I'm going to send a Savior. It's amazing to see the impact that Jesus had on everybody he came in contact with. You want me to show you real quick? Check this out. If you were just to go through the book of John, we're starting John 3, right? Looking at Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, who knows if Nicodemus, you know, what happened with him afterwards or whatever. But we know Nicodemus left different. You know, you got in John 4 right afterwards. He meets the woman at the well. Right? And he sees this woman and, and has this conversation and says, you've got to have living water. Actually, I'm the only one that can give you this water. And it changes her life because she, he knew what was going on in her life. She had had five husbands, and the man she was with wasn't even her husband. She was trying to fill herself up with something else. And Jesus says, no, I got what you need. And she changes her life, and actually her whole town starts believing in Jesus because of her testimony. Later on in the same chapter, a guy from the royal official, a, a royal official someone who who part of the class who later on was crucifying Jesus, this guy knows that only Jesus can heal his son who's dying. And what does he do when he comes in contact with Jesus? His son is healed. And it changes, it says, not only the royal official, but his whole family. John 5, the invalid man. There's a man there, he's at the pool, and Jesus says, do you want to get well? And just that one interaction, he not only heals the man, but gives that man faith. John 6, he feeds 5,000 people. You think those 5,000 people left a little bit differently when they heard the rumors that there was only five loaves of bread and two fishes? Fishes, is that a word? I don't know. You're with me, right? John 7. John 7 at the end, you know, it talks about he, he, he's, he's in the temple courts and people, there's a, a clique of people that, that don't know whether to believe him or not. His own brothers and sisters are persecuting him, his own siblings. So, you know, when you come in contact with Jesus, it can either change your life or it can cause even more confusion in your life. But that's the impact of Jesus. John 8, the adulterous woman comes and asks for forgiveness. And what does he say to the Pharisees? If you, have the, if, you, if, if you have no sin, anyone who has no sin, throw the first stone. And they all leave. Those guys left probably a little bit different that day. Probably a little bit angrier at Jesus. But that woman left changed for the rest of her life, right? John 9, a man born blind. He just, Jesus heals him. And the man says, listen. I don't know what happened, but I know I couldn't see, and now I can see. That's all I know. I don't know who healed me. All I know is I can see now. And it changes his life and his family's life. John 11, 
He raises a man from the dead. Talk about a life change right there. The guy was dead. They didn't even want him to open the tomb because of the stink of the body. And yet Jesus went in there, raised the guy from the dead, and had a party with him and Mary and Martha. Hanging out at the house. This is eat and be merry. You know what I mean? John 12. A woman comes in while, she's having, while they're having dinner and anoints his feet with perfume and causes a rift between the disciples because Judas is like, you should have used this perfume to sell it to give money to the poor. Every chapter, every interaction that Jesus had led to something happening. Jesus came to save the world. Look at these passages here in Romans 5, verse 6 through 9. You see, at just the right time, when we were still perilous, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his love, blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? This is the reason, the purpose, why we're even here. Jesus is Messiah. Ephesians chapter 2 in the message version. It says, it wasn't so, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. This is for those of us, especially who have proclaimed Jesus as Lord of our life and been baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. It says, you let the world, you used to let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it. All of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. All of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God doesn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense in mercy and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Amen? He did all this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work he had, we had better be doing. Isn't that cool? We see in these passages alone the power of Jesus being lifted up. Jesus, Christ, Messiah, Savior. 
We're going to have a special sister come forward right now from the singles ministry. Melissa Stockton is going to come up, and she's going to share a little bit just about how Jesus has been Savior in her life. Melissa Stockton. As Ruben uh, shared, and I, um, I've been living in Jesus Christ for over 11 years. Um, I am single, unmarried, non-dating, and I'm 37 years old, and um, Jesus is my Savior. He has rescued me time and time again, and he still continues to rescue me now. I was raised in the Jehovah's Witness religion until my parents separated and were divorced when I was about 12 years old. I really didn't know anything about Jesus Christ, and I didn't even know how to pray. The biggest hurt and pain I have experienced was the night my father walked out of the house and left us. I remember hearing them arguing and then him leaving. I cried out, Daddy! And he said, No, and left. I don't don't even know exactly what I felt then, but I know that it hurt and that I felt bad inside. My mother remarried a man, and for a good amount of time, uh, the home life was horrible. Uh, Fights, alcoholism, sexual impurity, and pornography were all in the house. I witnessed a horrible incident of sexual abuse involving a young child that I held inside for years. With all the stress and puberty, I had a major emotional breakdown. I was hospitalized. The doctor said he thought I I had schizophrenia, and I was drugged up. Time went by, and in high school, I started becoming sexually immoral. I really started becoming very selfish. But even during all this time, I knew there was a God, and that in my heart of hearts, I wanted to be with him. I started going after a career, trying to make it as a big star, dancing, acting, being a pop star. But I'm so glad that now it it didn't happen the way I wanted it to, because without God in my life, it would not have been good. The immorality and and, uh, impurity increased. I wanted to be wanted by men. More breakdowns followed along with severe depression. I just couldn't find or feel any hope. I tried to commit suicide twice. I ended up in an emergency hospital um, both times for overdoses. God spared my life. I got involved with a guy, got pregnant by him, and had an abortion. Shortly after this, I lost my mind. I went walking on the freeway late at night, inappropriately dressed, confused and in a daze. Once I made it back on the streets, a man picked me up thinking I was a hooker. Um, When I didn't comply with him, he pulled a knife on me, but I escaped. Right after that, another guy picked me up and tried to force himself on me in the car. He then took me into his house, uh, into this house with a group of his friends. And they all stared at me and wondered what drug I was on because I was catatonic. Um, I think at that point, I had a, a blackout because the next thing I remember is waking up in the morning on a stranger's front door. The ambulance came. Uh, my world of sin increased to the point that I became immoral with a married man. Um, I got involved in Hinduism ungodly spiritualism in which I opened myself up to impurity of evil spirits. I even flirted with homosexuality. I was a train wreck. I lied. I contracted sexually transmitted diseases, but because of God's grace, they were all treatable, and Jesus has taken care of that. 
The power to leave this life of sin was not given to me until I studied the Bible with women in this church and got baptized. Years. <laughs> Years before I had studied, I had done an altar call at this particular church and, and gotten baptized, but I went right back into my life of sin because I did not receive divine power to help me stop. Jesus revealed himself to me in this church. He did. It's true. I know. Um, Through all he has allowed me to go through and do, he never let me go. He never gave up on me. Um, And he stepped in at the right time. I've been a born-again virgin for over 11 years. Jesus did this for me. He continues to save me today. Um, As his disciple, I, I have still suffered. Um, horribly in many ways, still healing from past hurts. I have persevered with him through depression, panic attacks, cutting and beating myself, more breakdowns and suicidal thoughts. All this is a disciple. But God is so good, and he's faithful, and he is healing me, and he loves me, and he helps me, and I am not afraid. Um, He... I love, I love God. I love my beautiful relationship with this majestic, mysterious man. Um, Jesus is Lord, and Jesus is my deliverer. Thank you. Amen. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is Christ. Jesus, our Messiah. Jesus saves. That was amazing. Jesus doesn't stop there with Nicodemus, though. As he's talking with Nicodemus about this concept of being lifted up, he he ends out in a verse that many times John we we kind of stop at John three sixteen. But we don't read what he says right after that. I want to show you what he wrote, what he says. He's continuing to talk to, to Nicodemus, and he says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. All those who do evil hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But those who live by the truth come into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Savior. But to walk in the light and follow him is not just about being saved. It's about Jesus reigning in our lives. Not only is Jesus Christ, but Jesus is Lord. Jesus reigns. First John 1 John 1.5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light... 
We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The issue we have today is that the message of Jesus being Savior is something that inspires more faith and excitement and inspiration and is appealing to us. But the thought that he would be master, ruler, Lord of our life, that's a little bit more difficult to accept. Because when, he, when we're saying, I claim to have fellowship with, with God, but we're holding on to evil deeds, we're afraid to walk in the light, we lie to ourselves. We deceive ourselves. And that's what sin is. Sin, sin is deceitful. Sin is lying. That's what Satan does. He, he uses these great things that we think are so fun and acceptable. It's not how you were created to be. We want Jesus as Savior. And we need Jesus as Savior. But man, Jesus as Lord. Jesus as reigning, not just a little bit of Jesus, not just me sitting on the throne of my life and I let Jesus in a little bit. No, it's Jesus sitting on the throne and I'm at his feet. What do you want me to do? When we walk in the light, our true colors come out. Walking, because that's what Jesus says. If you walk in the light, your deeds will get exposed. Walking in the darkness, that's easy. When we come in contact with Christ, he doesn't just want to save us. He wants us to live under his lordship. Philippians 2, 8, Paul talks about this. He says, and he's talking about Jesus and being found in appearance as a human being. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him. That's what we're celebrating here. God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The scripture says here, no matter if you want to or willingly do that right now, there will come a day when every human being, will come and bow down before Jesus and say, Wow, Jesus is Lord. Whether you do that today, whether you do that right now, or he just comes back, every human being from every religion will say, Jesus is Lord. What does this mean for us? What does walking in the light, following Jesus, being born, again, what what do these things mean for us? Well, Jesus has a comment here about that. After Jesus has an interaction with a young man who has a lot of money, and a young man comes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And, And Jesus says to the young man, well, obey these commandments. And the young man says, I have. And Jesus looks at him in the eye and says, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Come follow me. And the guy left away sad. And Jesus starts talking about how how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And in verse 4 of Mark chapter 10, actually uh, verse 24, Mark chapter 10, says the disciples um, were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is 
to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With human beings, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Peter always speaking up. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields along with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. We want Jesus to be our Savior, but at times we don't want Jesus to be our Lord. I'm going to have a brother here, Bruce Roberts, going to come up and share a little bit of what it means Jesus is Lord in his life. This is Bruce Roberts right here. Good morning. Uh, Around 22 years ago, it was when that I made the decision to make Jesus my Lord. Um, I just moved to Denver, Colorado. I was about 30 years old. I moved there for a job to help build a robot for the space station for NASA. And two days after I got there to start my new job, a coworker invited me over for dinner, and then he invited me to church. So that's how I got to know a little bit about the church. I I was pretty non-religious. I didn't know that much, but I knew that I was a pretty good guy. So I thought, okay, I'm 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 doing okay. (laughs) But I saw a difference in these people, and uh, it had an impact on me. It took it took me a little while, but uh, finally I made that decision to make Jesus Lord of my life. And I got baptized so that I could have a relationship with God and I could be part of his church. So I was part of the singles ministry, and for about three years I had moved around different uh, brothers' households. And uh, then I thought about, uh, well, maybe I should uh, settle down a little bit. So I talked to the uh, you know, the ministry and got some advice from people, and decided to buy a house and settle down in Denver. And uh, about nine months later, Tom Snyder, who is the minister there, invited me over for dinner. You know, he's the guy who said, oh, yeah, go buy a house. (laughs) So I came over to dinner, and he said, "Uh, I'd like for you to go with me to Utah to start a church. And I thought he was joking at first. I just bought this house and I settled down. I quickly realized that, no, that's what he wanted me to do. And this is the point where I said, so this is what it means to make Jesus Lord of my life. And and the next day I said, yeah, I'll do that. I'll I'll do that. I was working this dream job that since I was 10 years old and I watched Men on the Moon for 20 years. I wanted to be part of the space program. I was working with professors from MIT, the dean of the School of Engineering of Stanford knew my name. Uh, 
I had a great house. I thought I had a great life. Uh, kind of like that rich young ruler. That he was, but I made the decision to make Jesus Lord. So a few months later, I quit my job. I moved to Utah, moved into a little cinder block apartment, <laughs> started working for a trucking company. I wasn't a rocket scientist anymore. <laughs> but I was focused on God's work and building a church. And, uh, you know, after about three years, we grew to about 100 people in the church from a small beginning. The first baptism we had was a linebacker from the University of Utah, David Cunningham. And the next one was the starting quarterback. Next year, he was the top-ranked quarterback for half the season in the NCAA. Uh, And... You know, we just see God work through people's lives by making that choice to make Jesus Lord. And I was just a small part of that. And uh, over the, after, after the church had grown, you know, there was needs in other churches. A few of my friends moved out to L.A. to be part of the church out here. And, they, you know, one time they asked me, what have you ever thought about moving to L.A.? And I said, ah, there's a lot of traffic, it's smog. <laughs> I got a big, long list. You know, I'm pretty happy here in Utah. So I think I'll, I'll just stay here for a while. And then uh, my friend Darren, who had moved out here like six months earlier, he was uh, leading the singles up in Malibu, said the church needed some help out here. So I said, oh, Jesus asked me, am I your Lord? And, you know, I decided, again, Jesus is my Lord. And uh, so I talked to the ministry out here in L.A. I moved to Long Beach right at the end of 1999. I think around January 2000, I moved in with Todd, (laughs) and uh, I became the administrator here in the church, and uh, I saw the church grow here, and I was was fortunate to be part of this, seeing the ministry built out here, because I had made the choice to be Jesus' Lord. But, you know, every day I have to make that choice. You know, it's not always easy to make that choice. Um... Sometimes I make the wrong choice, too. (laughs) But when you're really focused on because Jesus is my Savior and Jesus is my Lord, sometimes those decisions are very easy, even though they seem foolish to the world sometimes. You know, what is the result of that? That first baptism in Utah, David Cunningham, 10 years later, he was leading the church in Utah. I got to study the Bible with people like Peter Droste, Elias, Scott Steinke out here and build great friendships and spiritual brothers. I've been part of strong spiritual churches in all these places that have allowed me to be pruned so I can grow and so I can give back spiritually. This is all a decision to make Jesus Lord. It's not my job. It's not my home. And it's not things I can see that are important. And God always reminds me of that. So I just want to just making that choice. Every day you make that choice. Jesus is the Lord. You have to get up in the morning. Sometimes it's hard, but Jesus is the Lord. So you can say Jesus is the Lord, and he is risen. So thank you.
Guys, when we, when we, when Jesus is Lord, we do things that don't make sense to the world. We go against the current. I mean, Bruce left a dream job and, and, a, and home ownership to go to Utah to work for a trucking company. That doesn't make sense. But Jesus is Lord. When Jesus was lifted up out of the earth, when Jesus was lifted up on the cross, he said, look at me, I'll save you. When, when Jesus was lifted up of the earth, he says, come walk with me, because I'm going to be your Lord. When we, willingly, when we willingly acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is that Jesus is Lord of our time. Jesus is Lord of our money. Jesus is Lord of our possessions. Jesus is Lord of our emotions. Jesus is Lord of our marriages. Jesus is Lord of our parenting. Jesus is Lord of our worldview. Jesus is Lord of our friendships. Jesus is Lord of our success. Jesus is Lord of our failures. Jesus is Lord of our careers. Jesus is Lord of our views on dating. Jesus is Lord of our time. Did I say that again? Jesus is Lord. Amen. We've had several people in the Greater Long Beach Church just in the past few weeks say, go down to the beach and and, and say, Jesus is my Savior, but also Jesus is Lord. You know, down here in the left corner, you got three of the guys that were baptized in the campus ministry a couple weeks ago. You got Paul Bestman and Stephen Leap and Brandon Bell all baptized in the Lord. You got Christine Dominguez there baptized a week ago or so in the campus ministry. You got Jason baptized there in the singles ministry. These are new brothers and sisters. Jesus is Lord. We had Mark Fancher here get baptized. Mark's right there. Why don't you go ahead and stand up, Mark? Mark's right here. Yeah. Mark, Mark has become a great friend of mine and studied the Bible with a small group. Went down, you know, at, at, uh, at Belmont Shores. About six of us just there to baptize Mark. It was awesome. Elliot Johnson getting baptized last week. A victory in the youth ministry there. Elliot is 16 years old. Yet he understands for his life and for the rest of his life, Jesus is Lord. As we close, I have two questions for us before we pray for communion. Number one, are we letting Jesus save us? Is it really that difficult to believe that you may need some saving? I want to challenge us to approach Jesus and let him change us. If you're visiting with us today, I want to encourage you to study the Bible to understand what that even means. Join a small group. Let others into your life to help you understand what it means to live by faith in Christ. For those of us who follow Christ and who claim to have fellowship with God, as the Bible talks about, remember how much you've been saved from and continue to be saved from. Let us stop doubting the power of Jesus to save us. Number two, does Jesus reign in our life? Not 
so much are we letting him reign because whether we willingly confess he is Lord or not, at the end of the day, every knee will bow. But right now, does he reign in your life? What are you holding back? What are you holding on to that you don't want Jesus to be Lord of? Is it your time? Some of us need to stop making excuses and, and actually prioritize our relationship with Christ. Is it our money that we're holding on to? The Bible talks about you can't serve both God and money. Is it our pride that we're holding on to and not letting God's word and, and people into our lives? You know, some of us just need to humbly accept God's word and obey it. The Bible talks about love your wives as Jesus loved the church. Obey the scripture. Wife, submit to your husband. Obey it. Some of us just hold on to our pride. Does Jesus really reign in your life? For me as a disciple, I just turned 18 years as a Christian just two weeks ago. And for me, for me as a disciple, it all makes sense. I'm broken, sinful, prideful, angry, impure, unrighteous, selfish, greedy, lazy without Jesus. Easter is every day for me to celebrate that Jesus in my life is Messiah, Christ, and Jesus is Lord. Jesus saves and Jesus reigns. I saw, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen and white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on his robe and on his thigh. He has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let us pray. God, we come before you humbly acknowledging that Jesus saves and Jesus reigns. As we take the cup, as we take the bread, help us to remember how Jesus has been lifted up. He has been lifted up on the cross that we would see him and believe that he has the power to save us. That he has been lifted up from the earth after death. That he has the power, the authority to be King of kings and Lord of lords in our lives. Father, help us to let go. To just let go and let you reign. In Jesus' name, amen.